Amazing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, when, what they hated, who they loved, and other less known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we're all human and make mistakes, but that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. Welcome back. This is Humanizing History. I am one of your hosts, Cliff Boone. And I guess I'm the other one, Nick Downey. That would make you, yeah. Yeah, make me number two. (laughs) (laughs) Number two? I already go take a number one. (laughs) So how was your weekend? Had a good weekend. Got to spend some time with the family. Went and did an escape room. Uh, Thank you, Cliff, for watching my almost one-year-old. Yeah, Yeah. just wait till you get the bill. Oh, I know. I'm not looking forward to that. House repairs and a babysitting bill from Cliff. <laughs> oh yeah, but no, it was pretty good. How was yours? It was it was uneventful. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Well, we watched your kiddo for like four hours. Yeah, a breeze, and then just kind of hung out Sunday, did a little bit of work around the house, and now here we are Monday after work. Yeah, oh man, it always feels like I'm gonna have a nice easy weekend, and then something comes up. So, our cat has figured out how to open doors. Yeah, you were saying that a couple episodes ago. And so my wife just this weekend was absolutely, she was over it. So she's like, you're getting doorknobs. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So I spent Sunday replacing door handles with doorknobs. So the cat can't open the doors anymore. Okay. But it was a lot easier than I thought. Yeah. You had your weekend job to do. I had my weekend job that I was doing. And tonight we're covering Steve Jobs. We are covering Steve Jobs. I thought you were doing somebody else for some reason. You know, I I was looking at doing a member of the royal family. Okay. And decided against that. Interesting. Okay. For the time being. Because I want more time to go into it because I think it's going to be at least a two-parter. Really? Yes. I would have thought that Steve Jobs would have been a two-parter. It was difficult to keep it down to one, to be completely honest. So yeah. I had to cut a lot out. Right. Um, this is going to focus mainly on Apple. Okay, so none of his Pixar stuff? Well, it's going to... So, okay, it's going to focus mainly on his life after adulthood. Okay. So, a lot of it's Apple, but a little bit into Pixar. Um, And some of the next... Just real quick, I'll go over his, you know, his early life. But then we're going to dive mostly into the giant, just super sweet person that he was. Yes, I heard he was a very nice and cordial person to most individuals he met. And understanding... Very much so. so. Yes. So I will preface this by saying I have not seen the Steve Jobs movies. Okay, I haven't either. I didn't want it to skew my view yeah. because I know it's not a documentary; it's an Ashton Kutcher film, which, right? You know, well, there's the Ashton Kutcher one there, but there's also the Michael Fassbender one too. Is that the one that Wozniak was in? I don't know. So there were. I know there were two of them. I looked up. One of them was uh, Wozniak. Do you know who Steve Wozniak was? Mm. Okay. One of them he was involved with. It's more documentary style. And then there's the other one that was Ashton Kutcher's film. Yeah. I didn't want to watch any of them because I didn't want to skew the research. Right. Because when you watch a movie, if it's not a documentary, it's going to have, you know, the artistic expressions in it. Yeah. Yeah. Woz actually opened up a online school that's based out of Phoenix. Really? Doing what? Teaching electronics or? Uh, Teaching a lot. I think it's more coding and things like that. Cool. Apple would have been nothing without him. 
He was the brains behind it. 100%. So. All right. Well, without further dudes, let's uh, let's jump in. That sounds, sounds good. <laughs> so Steve Jobs was born Steve Paul Jobs on February 24th, 1955 to father Abdul Fattah, Jean Delis, and Joanne Schiebel. None of those have jobs in it. Correct. So Joanne, his mother, did not tell the father, Abdul Fattah, that she was pregnant. And she left Syria, where she was living, to move to San Francisco, where she had Steve. Wow. Now, immediately, she gave him up to a, quote, Catholic, well-educated, and wealthy couple who decided to adopt him. Okay. And then right before, they changed their mind. So Steve was then put in the care of Paul and Clara Jobs... Neither of whom had an education, any formal education after high school. And Joanne refused to sign adoption papers over to them because they didn't meet her requirements. Wow. Yeah. So they were willing to take her child on and raise it, but she would not sign papers because they didn't live up to the standards. Wow. So, but knowing their last name and Steve's last name now, it worked out. Right. It it did. Now, was Steve 100% Syrian? So he was half Syrian and half, I guess Joanne was white. Okay. American, but I'm I, I didn't look into it to be okay, completely interesting. honest. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I when I look at him, I don't think Syrian. You know, I didn't think so either. I figured he was just you know all American. He looks like just a normal, typical European. American dude. Yeah, European descent. I would have never guessed. Yeah. So yeah, he's at least half your or half European, half Syrian. Okay. So now his mother went to court to try and have Steve place with a different family. Like she really didn't want them really. With the so was it a foster care? So- yeah, so that he was put into the care of the, the Jobses. Okay. And they were working to adopt him. Okay. She found out who they were, and she's like, no. Wow, okay. So she did finally agree, though, to sign the paperwork to allow them to adopt him after they promised to put him through school. He wouldn't have to pay a dime. They would pay for it fully. Wow. So they turned out to be just amazing parents to him, and they turned out to be what he considered his parents for a majority of his life. Okay. So he even claimed that his biological parents were simply sperm donor and egg donor. Wow, okay. Nothing else for most of his life. And I, and I hate saying this, but I understand where he's coming from. You know, not, not to put anything against adoption. I'm 100% for adoption, and I've actually thought about adopting a kid myself. But I could, I could see, you know, you being a child that you may even consider that your parents abandoned you. Not saying that they did. They, they definitely did this for a reason. But unfortunately, I can see where he's coming from. Absolutely, and I, I know I have a friend of mine that uh, he actually taught me to brew beer. Okay. Um, he found out he was adopted mm-hmm. late in life. Like really? Like 40s. Wow. And it changed his life completely. Interesting, okay. It threw him off the deep end. Mm-hmm. How can you go your whole life think, thinking these are my parents and then find yeah. out that when I was born, someone threw me away, mm-hmm. essentially? I'm not saying people who are adopted are thrown away, but that's how he felt. Right. You know, at least that's what it looked like from the outside. I think if we ever adopt, I want my child to know that they were adopted and to realize that, hey, guess what? We, you know, we chose you. Like, yeah. I want them to understand that, first of all, their parents aren't bad. Their parents wanted a better life for them. And that's why they put them up for adoption. But I also want my kid to know, I love you so much that I chose you. You know, these other nimrods that I have, <laughs> I didn't get to choose them. They just came out of, <laughs> <laughs> they just came out this way. I'm born this way. <laughs> Just kidding. Marshall, if you hear this in 10 years, I love you. So my kid asked me the other day if he was adopted. Interesting. And I said, no, we haven't found anybody that would take you yet. <laughs> so that's just a joke, of course. I love my child. You know, it's interesting. I, 
I, I know I'm not adopted, but I think every kid at one point, that goes to their head like, am I adopted? I'm a spitting image of my mom, and so... My mom doesn't have a beard, thank God. But uh, anymore, <laughs> she shaved it up. <laughs> I love you, mom. Anyway, so I mean, it's obvious that I'm not, you know, adopted. But I think that goes through a lot of our heads at some point. It does. So, yeah. My best friend growing up uh, in high school, Mike Blasco. If you're out there, love you, buddy. He was so much taller than his parents. Like his parents were like five. His mom was probably like five five. His dad was like five eight, and he's. Six one ish, wow. so he's pretty tall. I'd be like, man, neither one of your parents are tall. And his joke was always, well, the milkman was tall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Steve was a really smart child, and this would help to lead him to misbehave and to play pranks and everything out of boredom. Okay. So before he was even in school, his mom taught him to read. So he was, you know, well off before he started wow. school. So William actually could read before he went to school also and he started school at 4. Yeah. So. That's our goal. We want to we want to get Marshall to start to start reading pretty early in life. He's already shown an interest in books and he's yeah. not even one, so hopefully we can get him to read pretty I'm young. sure you can. If you put yeah. some effort towards it, you yeah. totally can. So but I as I was doing Steve Jobs, I I could totally mirror Jobs when he was a kid with my son mm-hmm. because Everybody says their kid's really smart. Right. Whatever. Well, my kid's smart. Right. And he does this exact same thing. He can do all the work, but he doesn't want to put forth the effort. Mm -hmm. So he gets bored and he misbehaves. But then when test time comes, he takes a test and aces it. Right. Which if you ask my mom, she would say that it was you to a T Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. And it drove her nuts. And if you channel that energy correctly, man, it can be... It can be world changing, as we see here, as we will see here. I just so. got to figure out how to channel it. Yeah. <laughs> Steve figured out how to channel it. Yeah. So he, when he was in class, he would just lose interest in whatever subject he was, you know, attempting to learn, and he would become a classroom terror. Now, looking back later in life, Steve credited a major turning point in his life to his fourth grade teacher, Imogene Hill. She found out how to motivate this intelligent, mischievous, totally anti authority kid bribery okay so and literally bribery she would pay him to finish projects because she knew that he could so she would tell him quote i really want you to finish this workbook i will give you five bucks if you finish it and it seemed to work he found out because of that that he enjoyed learning and he wanted to learn even more. This drove him, mm-hmm. motivated him to, to learn more and more and more. Yeah. This is where he became a knowledge sponge. Interesting. Because of bribery. Capitalism is a great thing. Hey, you know, I love it. Now, after this, his school wanted to skip him up two grade levels. Two grade levels? Two grade levels. Holy cow. So his parents did not allow it, and I think okay. that was for the best. So, But they did let him skip one grade, so he went from fourth grade right to sixth grade. And he entered junior high. Now, being a younger student and kind of a nerdy, awkward kid, he was bullied. Mm -hmm. And bullied so severely that he told his parents he's done. He's never going back to school. Really? Okay. If they they don't put him in a different school, he will not go. Wow, it was that bad. It was bad. Okay. So, if I told my parents this, they'd tell me, suck it up and, you know, you better be at school. Yeah. His parents were, you know, a different breed. Mm Mm-hmm. They decided to move so that he could attend a better school. It also depends on how bad the bullying was. And that is true. You know, if your kid came home with, you know, black eyes or mental scars, and I could I could get that. If you I asked me two years... I did have that. <laughs> did you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
See, I was always the younger kid because I actually gra- I graduated high school at 17. And unfortunately, I was always the larger kid, you know, fat kid until probably about high school. I was still pretty big, but yeah, dude, it was, there was some times where it was a living hell, but luckily I was really good at sports. So then I would not get picked on because yeah, you get the group of jocks that you're with. Right. Yeah. Sports ball. <laughs> sports ball. So yeah, his parents decided to move and they ended up moving to Cupertino, California. Okay. Does that ring any bells? It does not. Okay. Have you ever looked at your phone and you say the world clock? It always shows Cupertino, yes. California. Yes. So that's where he moved to. Okay. This is what became the first site for Apple. Interesting. Okay. So, so it was up north, I take it? See, I don't know where it was, like, geographically. Do you know what time it is in Cupertino? Uh, 614. 614 p.m. Damn, I'm good. <laughs> so he would later attend the Homestead High School where he began changing, as most of us do, but he began changing like he was using drugs and listening to different music. He started forming you know an idea of who he wanted to be in life okay and by the end of high school he had two interests electronics and literature okay things so what types of drugs did he do so he did marijuana and lsd okay he even looked back on lsd and said taking acid was like the most important thing he had ever done in his life do you know what's interesting is i know you listen to some of the podcasts that i listen to and they do talk about that quite a bit, whether it's LSD or other psychedelics, that it can trigger parts of the brain or get you to think outside of your typical box. And I can't think of, of the exact uh, drug that, that our, the show that we listen to all the time, Mysterious Universe, talks about. But I, I, I don't think I would ever take LSD or anything like that. But I can understand how it could be powerful to the brain and how it can trigger things. I think you're talking about psilocybin. I think that might be it. It's the active ingredient. I want to say in mushrooms or um, what is the one that they take, they throw up to get high? I don't know, but it, it, I want to say there's one that starts with a D, like D. Ayahuasca. DMT is the one DMT, you're thinking yes. about. Yeah, so DMT, I've never done DMT, but I've heard it's 15 minutes of just crazy unlocking things in your spiritual being and everything. Right. But I, I've read studies about... Uh, magic mushrooms okay healing all sorts of crazy things like depression people who suffer from depression for their lives take it like with a doctor you know it's someone to guide them through it while they're doing it and they monitor them they they take a dose they take another dose the next week and their depression's gone mm-hmm. and people with like ptsd from iraq veterans said the exact same thing yeah a couple times they took it and they're fine right so it it just boggles the mind i i i want I want it to be studied more mm-hmm. so we can actually find out what the effects are. Because it's natural. It's not something that someone makes in a bathtub and ships across the border. Right. It grows wild. Right. I think it has to do something with locking thing, uh, unlocking parts of your brain or getting over things subconsciously. That's what ultimately releases these individuals from their depression. And breaking and, down mental barriers that right. you can't do from a Right. And I think form. that's why, like, uh, why can't I think of the word... Not hypothesis, um, hypnosis. Mm-hmm. I think that's why hypnosis hypnosis works so well is because you're getting into parts of your brain that I think you almost shut down when you're in when depression. When you're conscious, yeah. When you're conscious, yeah. I agree, hundred percent. I've never taken acid, but right. Steve Jobs looks back on that, and that was a major turning point in his life. Mm-hmm. So hey, good for him. 
He enrolled at Reed College in Portland in 1972, but he dropped out without telling his parents. Okay. So that promise they made to pay for his schooling, you know, too little, too late, mm-hmm. right? So that's all we're going to cover about his early life because we're going to jump into jobs as jobs and different companies. Okay. Now, just real quick before we go into that, and I may be jumping the gun here, the whole garage and everything, was that after Reed College? No, that was before. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Yes. No, no, that was after college. After college. Okay. Yeah, but we will touch on that. Okay, perfect. Oh, sorry if I jumped the gun there. No, you're fine. So Steve's first job was at age 13. Okay. Working for Hewlett Packard. Really? Yeah. So he was given the job because he called the co-founder of the company. Really? Like cold called him asking for parts. He wanted parts to build a frequency counter, which is uh, like a device that's used for measuring frequency... As in, like, the number of cycles of oscillation or the number of pulses per second. Okay. And he looked up the guy's number in the phone book and called, thinking that he was going to get, like, a machine or a secretary or whatever. But the co-founder of Hewlett Packard, Bill Hewlett, answered the phone. That's cool. Yeah, and he sat and talked to him. Mm-hmm. So he was he was amused by the call at first, yeah. you know, thinking this dumb kid's asking me for free stuff. But then he started talking to him, and he realized that he was an intelligent kid, and he had drive, he had motivation, and he wanted to learn about this, so he gave him a summer job when he was 13. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting. I think we put up a lot of these barriers that we don't think that CEOs and famous people, we put up these barriers like, we're not we're not going to get any, into touch with them, they're never going to give us access to anything. I think you'd be surprised if you have the guts to ask intelligently and thoughtfully to a lot of... CEOs and such, they'll give you stuff. Like, for instance, Mark Cuban. Do you know who Mark Cuban is? I know the name. So Mark Cuban, he owns the Mavericks. He's on Shark Tank. Uh, He was part of the dot-com boom and sold at the right time. Anyway, uh, you can straight up email him. And he, you know, depending on your email and what the content is, he's usually pretty quick at emailing you back if it's something that he finds interesting. And so I think it's one of those things where if you have the guts to actually go out and contact these people, I think you'd be surprised how many get back to you, especially if you are truly interested in what they do or or have something that's worthwhile to them. So anyway, since you brought that up, there was a young lady named Katrina Beauchamp, I think, that used the exact same tactic on jobs. So before she started classes at Harvard Business School, she emailed him, which I guess is this decades equivalent of cold calling right she emailed him to ask for a deal on a laptop on a macbook yeah he gave her a deal on her first uh, first edition macbook air that's awesome so she did the exact same thing he did and he respected that that's cool steve's second job was as a technician working for atari the game company okay so steve jobs along with steve wozniak and ronald wayne all founded the apple computer company which would be his third job okay april 1st of 1976 1976. Wow, that was a while ago. And April 1st. So one of these years, I'm just thinking, Apple's just going to be like, April Fool's, longest running April Fool's joke. (laughs) But we'll see. So then in 1985, Steve was fired from Apple, and he founded Next Incorporated, which would later be bought by Apple. And the software they produced would become part of the Mac OS, iOS, Watch OS, TV OS, and every other every OS other, they yeah. had. Now, I don't know if you're going to cover this. Does it talk why he got fired? Yes. Are we going to talk about it later? Yeah. Okay, cool. Steve actually recruited the man who fired him. Oh, nice. So he recruited John Scully um, from Pepsi. 
he called him and said, you know, you could waste your life selling over-carbonated sugar water, or you could do something with your life. And he actually came to work for, wow. for Apple after that. So later, they clashed over poor sales over the Macintosh office, and Jobs demanded that they drop the price of it and that they change their advertising in the middle of you know their advertising campaign. Scully disagreed with him and told him he's going to take it to the board. Jobs called his bluff and said, you won't do it. Well, he did, and the board decided to can him. Wow. It, it wasn't just that. He had other flaws. Yeah. We'll find out. So then Steve also would help fund the company that became Pixar in 1986. And he was credited as an executive producer on the company's first film with Disney. Any idea what it was? Toy Story. Toy Story. When Disney and Pixar's contract was about to run out in 2004, Steve Jobs and Michael Eisner were not able to reach a deal to continue their partnership, and the company split. I don't know what went on in there, but Jobs said he would never work with Disney again. Interesting. When he walked away from the table. Because clearly they're working together now. Well, yes. So, but not Michael Eisner. That's true. Okay. So now, after Disney replaced Eisner with Bob Iger, their relations were mended. Iger really pushed to get Jobs back in. So the relationship was mended, and Jobs was ready to deal. So now, in early 2006, it was announced that Pixar would be bought out by Disney for $7.4 billion in stock alone. That's insane. So now, with this... Steve Jobs would hold 7% of Disney and be on the board of directors as the largest individual shareholder. That's insane. That's insane. As a point of reference, Michael Eisner owned less than 2%. It's nuts how big Disney is now. Disney owns something in everything. Yeah. They're, okay, did you ever watch Epic Rap Battles of History? Loved it, yes. Okay, so there's an episode... It's Jim Henson versus, I think, Stanley. Okay. And it ends up just being a total diss. Not a diss, but it talks about basically how Disney owns everything. Henson. They own Marvel. They own everything. ESPN. They ESPN. Own everything. Fox. ABC. Yeah. It's it's nuts. But my cousin, he, he well, he was working for Fox. He's now working for, for Disney, but he loves working for Disney. Benefits yeah. are better. He gets into the parks for free, and he lives in California, and so he loves it. My brother-in-law worked for works for ESPN, yeah, and he lived in California for a while, and they'd go to Disneyland mm-hmm. for free. Yeah, you know, just hop in, right? So, yeah, eighth grade job, you know. I'd love to work for him too. It stinks that they're taking over the world, but what do you do? Yeah, join so, the powers that be. If you can't beat them, join them, right? right. So, in 1997, Steve came back to Apple when they purchased his company next. And he became the CEO where he would stay until 2011. So this is where Steve saved Apple. Okay. So now when Jobs joined Apple again in 1997, it was a rapidly failing company. But Jobs was able to turn this around, and Apple went on to be the highest sold personal computer in 1998. Okay. I did not know that they were ever the highest selling computer company. But apparently they were, 1998, with their revolution... Do you have an idea? The iMac. The iMac, yes. So I remember as a kid, I was in second grade, and I remember our computer lab got a whole redo, and we, they decked it out with the new iMacs. And those were the those were the iMacs that had the, it was all one, mm-hmm. all in one. It had that kind of translucent, 
like greens and purples and blue and blue orange and yellow. And yeah. we thought we were so cool going into our computer lab with these Macs and looking cool and uh, playing Oregon Trail during computer lab. Man, those iMacs were, were super cool when I was really young. Absolutely, yeah. But so that was the innovation that he had. Computers were boxes that were tan. Yep. And had a separate monitor and everything else. He had the idea to make it all in one and make it look like something you wouldn't mind having in your house. Right. So I actually, we jumped the gun just a little bit, but do you know how much an iMac cost in 98? <sighs> probably super expensive. Probably something like $1,500. You're close. 1300 bucks. I right? believe it. So that would be about $2,000 today. Okay. Which, if you think about it, the all-in-one... Uh, desktop max. That's that's about right. You're right. Yes, yeah, so that's about what you'd pay now. Um, while other computers at the at the time with similar specs were about twenty seven hundred bucks, or about four thousand today. Oh wow. So, the issue is, I have a bomb computer that we're doing this podcast yes. on right now. It, it it's a gaming computer, and I spent under a thousand bucks on it. Right. Really? Yeah. I need to get your specs. You can have. Okay. Um, so I, I built this in March. Computer parts were hard to get then. Mm-hmm. So I even spent a little bit extra more than I had to because I couldn't get the parts that I wanted. Right. Um, but I have an amazing computer. Yeah. I couldn't imagine spending $4,000 on a computer. I couldn't imagine spending $2,000 on a computer. Yeah. And I know we're going off topic, but have you seen ads from like 2000? No. From like Best Buy? No. They're talking about... You know, Pentiums that uh, are like 3700 bucks, Right. And it's got like 256 megabytes of RAM. And I'm just like, how yeah. did we pay for that? Right. So my biggest issue with the IMAX, I don't know if you remember this, the mice. They were the one, round. Yeah, the round. And it was one button. button. That like went all the way across so it. So Macs are still one button. You know, you can, you can put, you can put your own, you know mouse on it and use mm-hmm. a two button and it works but yeah no i mean those but i as a kid i know i'm a little bit younger than you are i thought that was cool well, no i thought it was cool then too but looking back i'm like it was so awkward it was like holding a pancake yeah and trying to yeah it's just weird i still have never owned a mac computer what's the point like i mean they're i understand architects love them and artists mm-hmm. love them and and that's great i I like the idea of being able to change parts yeah. and upgrade my computer without right. upgrading it to a whole new unit. Right. So I'm interested. Sorry, I'm kind of going geeky here, but the new M1 chips that they're using are supposedly awesome. And if you look at laptops that are comparable on the uh, Windows side, they're way more expensive. So is Mac making their own chips now? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So they're they're no longer using Intel. So it's all. In, you know, it's all in-house. Wow. So the new Mac Air is using this M1 chip. They were able to make it so cool that they don't even have fans on the on the new Mac Airs. It supposedly runs extremely well. And for like the first time in a long time, I'm kind of interested in getting a Mac. It's only $9.99. Okay, so $1,000. So it's $1,000. $1, it's not bad. I spent, seven, what, $1,200 on a gaming PC right. Uh, laptop. Right. And how long ago was that? six years ago right and compared to where Macs were price wise with the Intel's this is 
lot less expensive for what you're getting. So I have not looked into them at all. Yeah. And for I just know that macOS doesn't really play nice with a lot of software. Yeah, but they're for me. I honestly, I and I know there's going to be people that disagree with me out there, but for for amateur video and sound editing. It's pretty good stuff that you're well, getting with and it. And that's where I'm saying the artists love it. Musicians right. and filmmakers and everything love it. Right. So they, they have GarageBand, which is what a lot of people use for podcasts. Yeah. Because it's built in and it's free with them. Yeah. Nothing against them. It's just not suited to me. I'm not going to knock somebody that drives a Volkswagen just because I don't like them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll drive what I want. You drive what you want. It has its place. Yeah. So, yeah. So following the success, <laughs> we went way up there. Yeah. <laughs> So following the success of the iMac came the iBook and a desktop computer that Apple built that they claimed was so powerful that it wasn't allowed to be exported outside the United States because it qualified as a supercomputer. Interesting, okay. Which I just do not believe. But hey, you know, Apple said it. So Jobs continued to lead Apple into the future with iTunes and the iPod, both of which came out in 01 seems like forever it really was and a few years later apple was selling mp3s over the internet so many in fact that in 2006 over 1 billion songs and videos had been purchased only through itunes and do you know what's crazy what else was around during that time oh limewire and limewire napster napster yes and it's it's still buying music then it's crazy yeah so then there was the big one. In 2007, Apple introduced... The iPhone. The iPhone. Man, are you an Apple fanboy, Nick, or what? So, <laughs> I'm not an Apple fanboy. I've The only Apple product I've ever owned was a, the iPod Nano mm-hmm. and then my iPhone. But something about Apple products has always mesmerized me a little bit. I just haven't had the pocketbook to, to pay for it. Yeah. And also, I've liked gaming... So, I haven't bought a Mac because we all know you don't game with a Mac. So, yeah, in 2007, Apple introduced the iPhone and then later the iPod Touch. And then just after that, it was just year after year, the company grew with brand new models of the iPhone and brand new models of the iPod. So, but that was how he saved Apple. So, from the outside looking in, this man changed this company from drowning to becoming a huge major player in computer electronics. Mm-hmm. However, under Jobs' tenure, Apple launched a task force called the Worldwide Loyalty Team, which some employees have referred to as the Apple Gestapo. Okay. So this was a group of moles tasked with spying in Apple headquarters and Apple stores, as well as a Worldwide Loyalty Team, and they would report their findings directly to Jobs and other executives. Who does this sound like? Anything off the top of your head? I can't think of it. Ford Motor Company. Oh, you're right. Yep. That's the only thing I could think of. Interesting. Yeah. So there was a Gizmodo interview where one Apple employee recounted the following about the task force. Quote, management is not aware of them. So once Apple suspects a leak, these special forces, as we called them, would walk into any office at any hour, especially in the mornings as you were starting work. They will contact whoever was the most senior manager in the building and ask them to coordinate the operation. From there, the team proceeds to confiscate phones and look for signs of leaking activity. So they would go in 
and take your personal device to see what you've been doing on it. If you've been leaking Apple secrets. Okay, I know, I know that sounds crazy, but do you understand how leaps and bounds ahead Apple was at that time, especially in the smartphone and the MP3 player market? Oh, I get it. And you wouldn't want anybody to have those secrets. So I get it. Now, is it something that they should have done? Probably not. However, you're working for them. At any point, no one's forcing you to work for them. At any point, you can quit. So that's true, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And it wasn't one of those things where they'd walk and be like, all right, guys, can we see your phones? They were, no, all right, give me your phone or leave. Right. So, I don't know. I know somewhere in the contract you sign with them, it probably says that they're allowed to do that. I just have a huge major issue with it. But I'm not the type of person who would sell secrets or anything either. Right, right. So You also probably wouldn't work for Apple. I'd, I'd work for Apple. If they were doing this, though. I'd work for them until this happened. Okay. To be completely honest, yeah. I am I am open for business. If you want to pay me to say something, I'll say it. <laughs> you know, but Apple's legal team also became known for intimidating journalists. And one such instance occurred in 2005 when the company brought a civil lawsuit against 19-year-old blogger Nick Ciarelli. Okay. And if I butchered your name, buddy, I'm sorry. So he correctly reported the existence of the Mac Mini prior to its launch. Now in the lawsuit, Apple claimed that Ciarelli, whose site Think Secrets, regularly posted rumors about Apple's upcoming releases and sometimes incorrectly things that he thought were happening and weren't. And he also would post like Apple's trade secrets and he would encourage people who were in the know to provide product information and breach their agreements mm-hmm. for views. So this legal skirmish ended after Ciarelli agreed to shut down his blog forever. Gizmodo staff also reported that after the tech media outlet posted a video of an iPhone 4 prototype, Apple complained to law enforcement who raided that person's home. That's nuts. Yeah. So, time out. So, the Nick Ciarelli... Was he ever compensated, or they just told him to shut it down? Nope. It was, so we're going to proceed his... with this lawsuit, or you're done. We'll, we'll proceed with the lawsuit, or you shut this down, and you're done forever. See, that's nuts, because he was doing his job. See, that's where that's where it's like, you can't do that. So, But again, now, you say you can't do that. That's freedom of the media, right? That's First right. Amendment. They're not the government. Right, but that's not going to hold up in court. Still, it, the fees they in can it, make yeah. your life such a living hell and put you in such a financial bind. Hole, yeah, you'll never get out of it. And who's gonna stand up behind this kid and put money up for him to fight it? Right. Here's your legal fund, buddy. Go ahead. Nobody. Call up Gates. I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. Well, yeah. In 2011, after Apple lost an iPhone prototype in a Bay Area bar. Okay. Apple security personnel headed to the San Francisco Police Department. They said that they had lost a priceless piece of software and they had tracked its location to a home using its GPS. Sergio Calderon, who was 22 at the time and was a resident of that home, he claims that Apple sent security guards and plainclothes officers to his house where they broke in and asked about his whereabouts the evening the phone was lost. Calderon's attorney, David Monroe, told CNET that the security personnel flashed their quote-unquote badges 
and said that if Calderon didn't voluntarily submit to a search of his home, they'd obtain a search warrant. So this wasn't actual police. This was just the no, Apple KGB. It was the Apple KGB yeah. along with plainclothes officers. Okay. But the officers were just kind of hanging out in the background, right. allowing this to happen. Yeah. So Calderon was afraid, so he agreed, and he gave him access to his house and even to his computer, not knowing at the time that the search was conducted by Apple employees. And not police not officers. Not the police. So the Apple employees also threatened Calderon's family, asking questions about their citizenship. No. Yes. Wow. So Calderon, who was an American citizen, okay. said, quote, One of the officers is like, is everyone in this house an American citizen? They said they were all going to get in trouble. Apple didn't find the phone at his residence, and on their way out, Calderon says that they tried to bribe him. So they made it seem like they were on the phone with whoever owned the phone, mm-hmm. you know, and said that the person's not going to press charges, that they just want it back, and they'll give him $300 if he just gives it back to him. Now, did he have the phone? He did not. Oh, wow. Then how did they pinpoint it to this guy? That's just what they said. Okay. I don't know how they went about doing it, if he happened to be at that bar that night, or if he's involved in tech or what, but right. for whatever reason, they said that the phone's GPS said it was at his residence, okay. even though it wasn't. Okay. In a 2010 report about Apple's factories, it was found that factories regularly employed people below the legal working age of 16. So that year, counts of Apple's labor violations, such as involuntary and underage labor, were up from 2009. Just one year later, in 2011, its employees overseas, mainly in China, were forced to work hours that were like 34-hour shifts. Yeah. 34 hours. There are so many stories out there about how Apple has completely, you know, exploited all of their overseas workers, especially in China, because unfortunately there's very lax laws over there. Absolutely. So shame on Apple for that. But shame on China for right. exploiting their own people right. for profit. Well, they do that all the time. Why do you think American companies do business over there? It is so much cheaper to get work over there. Yeah. Well, and there's there's not this com- stringent compliance, you know, regulations over right. there that we have over here that right. make a t-shirt here that costs $4 to make or over there it costs 70 cents to make. It, it, obviously, these are just arbitrary numbers I'm pulling out of my butt, but right. you understand what I mean. There's a huge there's a huge price difference between things made in America and things made in China. I totally understand that. So these factories were operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in order to meet the global demand for all these Apple products. The company also found that fewer factories were compliant with health and safety codes than in 2009, and that fewer suppliers were compliant on working hours. And in 2010, there were 18 attempted suicides that resulted in 14 deaths. That's insane. But it had to have been because of all of the depression and anxiety and just like maybe even lack of sleep, too. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're working 34 hours straight. Like, I was up once for, geez, I want to say maybe 30 hours once mm-hmm. uh, in high school. And, like, I started to hallucinate. Yeah. I can't imagine having to work right. for 34 hours. Right. I remember one time I was driving from California so from Long Beach to Salt Lake, which um, it took us three hours to get out of L.A. So it's normally about an 11, maybe 12-hour trip. I ended up taking like 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. And I was just 
coming from a spring break church camp, and I think I got three or four hours of sleep the night before. I remember I was, it was a stretch from Vegas, or no, from Mesquite to Beaver, Utah, mm-hmm. and literally the semis in front of me looked like they were flashing to yeah. the side. Luckily, I got to Beaver and had a ton of coffee, and I was good the rest of the <laughs> oh, way. Oh, that's good, yeah. <laughs> but I could, and that was, you know, that was only 15 hours off a of very little sleep. I couldn't imagine 34 hours. No way. No way. So, speaking of Beaver, every time we drive to Montana, that's one of our first stops. Really? Okay. It's Beaver, Utah. Yeah. And I love going in the gas stations and looking at the keychains and bumper oh, yeah. stickers and everything. There's the one with the Wendy's. I always stop there, and they always had the bumper stickers like, I love Beaver, or yes. things like that. I spent and the day in Beaver. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's such a little rinky-dink little town. Like, you literally, if you weren't paying attention, you'd be in and out. Yep. But whenever I was, yeah, that would usually be my first stop. When I left Salt Lake, mm-hmm. coming home, it was just a quick, usually I got breakfast or something there, and then yeah. headed out. So now Jobs denied that Foxconn was a sweatshop, saying, quote, Foxconn is not a sweatshop. (laughs) I love how you phrased that. He says it's not a sweatshop by, quote, saying, it's not a sweatshop. (laughs) Hey, you know. And he added, they have restaurants and swimming pools. For a factory, it's a pretty nice factory. (laughs) So I don't know if he'd send his kids there to work. But well, know. I bet you those restaurants and those swimming pools were probably for the executives, not for the I'd lay worker. Imagine so. Yeah. So Steve also had his own reputation for being a, a tyrant. Once in 2008, Fortune reported that shortly after the disappointing launch of Mobile Me, which was their email system, which would provide this you know seamless synchronization of features that was really similar to like the BlackBerry. Okay. Jobs reportedly doled out a half-hour public humiliation of the team responsible. Uh, some of the things he said were, can anyone tell me what mobile me is supposed to do? And when he was given a satisfactory answer, he continued, so why the F doesn't it do that? You've tarnished Apple's reputation. You should hate each other for having let each other down. And he ended it by firing the head of the group on the spot in front of everybody else. That's jacked yeah. up. Okay. Was was Steve Jobs still alive when Apple Maps was debuted? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Could you imagine, if he was, can you imagine that conversation? Do you remember how messed up Apple Maps was? No, I was still using MapQuest. <laughs> it would like lead you off roads. I can't even describe how bad Apple Maps was. When, they, when it first came out. So now during his tenure as the chairman of the board of directors at Pixar, the company lost profits in three different endeavors, hardware, software, and animated content. Now this forced Jobs to make some deep layoffs, and he insisted that employees were to be let go without warning and without severance pay. So Pamela Kerwin, who was the vice president and general manager of Pixar at the time, insisted that employees be given at least at a minimum two weeks notice and job shot back saying quote okay but the notice is retroactive from two weeks ago that's jacked up you either need to give people time or money you got to give them something it's not just stop their job it's not their fault that you're going bankrupt but in his mind it was their fault 
he never saw him as doing anything wrong. Right. He always saw, this is a problem. I didn't do it. You did it. Right. So that's why he saw it as being totally fair of letting them go because they should have done better. Right. I hired them to do this to make me money. They're not doing it. Therefore, they're canned. Do you remember the Apple advertisements? Like for iPods. The one with the colored background with the black silhouette and the... uh... Yeah, so that was one of them. Do you remember like the iPad commercials? They were shot really weird. No, I don't remember. No. So, well, Steve wanted to make a splash with the iPad campaign. And he didn't like the first round of promo videos that they had. So he called James Vincent, who was the man in charge of the ads. And he told him, your commercials suck. The iPad is revolutionizing the world, and we need something big. You've given me small blank. This is a family show. Yes. So that started an argument between the two men, and Jobs couldn't decide what he wanted. He said, you know, I want something, but I can't tell you what it is. He just knew he wanted something different. So Vincent kept coming up with something new and different, and he kept shooting it down. So after a lot of back and forth, the Revolution ad campaign began. Okay. And that's the ad that they went with. Okay. Or go back and look on YouTube. I'll have to check it out because that's not that one's not ringing a bell. I, if I remember correctly, it started, the iPad was like in a kid's lap. Okay. And it went up from there and the scene changed and the hands changed. And Interesting. I'll so. have to check it out. Okay. So that's what he wanted, but he couldn't tell him, hey, I want something like this. He just goes, what you gave me is crap. Give me something different. Mm-hmm. When engineers working on the very first iPod completed their prototype... They brought it into his office and presented it to him for his approval. He played with the device and kind of looked at it, scrutinized it, like weighed it in his hand, you know, and and then he said, no, I don't like it. It's too big. The engineers explained they had done everything they could to invent this and create this iPod and that it was just impossible to make it any smaller. Jobs was silent and then he stood up, walked over to an aquarium and threw the iPod in it. And they were just standing there dumbfounded. This is the only prototype. only prototype. Now, it hit the bottom, and bubbles started coming out of it. And he said, those are air bubbles. That means there's space in there. Make it smaller. Oh, my God. I wouldn't be able to contain myself. At the very least, I'd have raised my voice. Oh, I would have gone nuts. (laughs) So, that, that for me would have been the absolute end. I'd have hit him. <laughs> I could have never worked for a man like that. No way. One of the worst things, I think, was when Steve was 23, his first daughter, Lisa, was born out of wedlock. So according to his ex-partner and Lisa's mother, Christian Brennan, who was an employee at Apple, oh, okay. Jobs spent the next two years denying paternity. He even said that he couldn't be Lisa's father because he was sterile and infertile. <laughs> And as a result thereof, did not have the physical capacity to procreate a child. Wow. But he I bet you he wouldn't take a paternity test. He, he did not. So when Brennan told Jobs she was pregnant, she recounted that he had this fiery look. And he just grew more and more volatile over time. He became more and more upset and more unpleasant towards her. But he did have the nerve to tell her, if you give this baby up for adoption, you'll be sorry. So he he knew. He knew. And he even followed that by saying, and I'm never going to help you. So he didn't want her to give up for adoption. But he wasn't going to help her. And, and kept denying that it was her. his kid. Yes. This makes no sense. Now, was he, he... So he was married at the time. So I think this was just a girlfriend. Okay. So she ended up quitting the job at Apple 
for good reason. Of course. I would too. She ended up having to go on welfare and she cleaned houses on the side to make money just to get by. Oh. So eventually Jobs did acknowledge his paternity and later he married Lorene Powell and they had three more children. Okay. So he had Lisa and then three children with his wife, Lorene. Does he have a relationship with Lisa? Does he? Yes. Okay. Now, later on in life, he did. So we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit in, towards the end of the podcast. Okay. But he did kind of turn things around with her. I want to say when she was nine. Okay. So his other three children were Reed, Eve, and Aaron Jobs. Steve Wozniak. The Woz. The Woz. He befriended Jobs in 1971 through a mutual friend that knew they both like electronics and pranks. Okay. So he's like, hey, you both are the similar. You guys should meet. And they instantly hit it off. They were friends. So they would go to concerts together and joke around, just hang out. And then they started doing business together. So Steve Wozniak is brilliant, mm, to say the least. Yeah. So he built this thing he called the Blue Box that would allow people to make free long-distance phone calls. And it was this system that had numbers on it, and it would create a tone that would say, you know, you've paid this amount of money so you can make the call, even though, you know, they never paid. So he he made these, and Jobs was able to sell them. He was the guy that made it. Jobs is the marketing guy. So they sold them for 150 bucks a piece. That's about a grand today. Wow. So in 1973, while Jobs was working at Atari, the employees there were tasked at making a better circuit board for the game Breakout. Okay. And they were offered $100 for every chip or component they could eliminate from the machine. Okay. So now Jobs knew almost nothing about circuit board design. Again, he wasn't like that electrical engineer that, that Waz was. Right. So he brought the idea to Steve... And he said, hey, if you're able to do this, we'll split the profits. So Waz was able to eliminate almost 50 components by the time he was done. Holy cow. Yeah. Even though the design was never used by Atari, they still gave the bonus to him. Because to he Jobs, did it. Because he yeah. did it. Mm-hmm. And Jobs claimed to Waz he was given 700 bucks. So he gave him the 350 bucks, even though he was given five grand, which today is about $30,000. Whenever I think of Apple and whenever I think of everything that they've done, we go directly to Steve Jobs when we should really be thinking Wozniak. Absolutely. He has gotten screwed through this whole thing. Well, Woz was the total brains. He built everything. Mm-hmm. He he knew and he he was happy with his position. He didn't want to be a face man. He wanted to have fun. He enjoyed making stuff. He didn't ever want to manage or sell. Mm-hmm. So that's where Jobs and him were great because yeah. Jobs didn't want to do any of that. He yeah. wanted to sell. He wanted to be the face. Right. So they worked out really well that way, but Jobs took advantage of it. Yeah. So Wozniak didn't find out about this $5,000 until about 10 years later. And he said, if Jobs would have just told him, hey, look, I need the money, he said he could have had it. I didn't need it. He could have had it. Now, this is where, personally, I have severed ties with Jobs. Mm-hmm. Don't lie to me. Don't steal from me. But this is also about a year after they both became millionaires working for Apple. So I'm sure he didn't mind letting go of the five grand. Right, right. He was probably like, hey, you remember that thing 10 years ago? Yeah, actually, we got $5,000 instead of 700 Yeah. 
And he's looking there, you know, wiping his tears away with $100 bills, right. going, oh, I guess I'll get over it. So now Steve Jobs had suffered from a cancerous tumor in his pancreas, and the prognosis was poor. Okay. And when was this? Sorry. Early 2000s. Okay. So for almost a year, Jobs tried to treat this illness with alternative medicine, which experts believed ended up shortening his life. Okay. So the type of cancer that he had was rare, but it was much less aggressive than typical pancreatitis cancer. Okay. And experts believe that if medical intervention would have happened much earlier, like when they found it, there was a strong chance that he could have extended a quality life for much longer than he did. Because yeah, it felt like he passed pretty quickly. He he did. So, well, now this is early 2000s, and, and he, he didn't pass. pass until 2011. So in 2004, he had, I'm going to butcher this, pancreatic oduodenectomy. <laughs> Oduodenectomy. <laughs> Which would remove the tumor, essentially. So, however, in 2006, the the tumor returned, and Jobs tried to hide the fact that he was sick again, because he didn't ever want to appear weak. Mm -hmm. But his appearance changed. Yes. Well, exactly. So, he was a much thinner, gaunt, sickly-looking man that was hard to hide from the media. Yeah. And in fact, in 2008, the news agency Bloomberg mistakenly published a 2,500-word obituary of Jobs in its corporate news service that contained blank spaces for his age and cause of death. So, because they had it written, they were just assuming he was going to die soon. That's and so nuts. they had it all formatted out. News carriers typically stockpile like up-to-date obituaries to facilitate news delivery in the event. That someone well-known like that would die. But the error was promptly rectified. But many news carriers and blogs reported it, intensifying the rumors that his health was failing. Gotcha. So Jobs responded at Apple's September 2008 Let's Rock keynote by paraphrasing Mark Twain. Reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. (laughs) So you know he said that because someone reported he died. Mark Twain. I didn't know that, no. Yeah. He's he's a fascinating individual. We'll have to cover. Yeah, I, I think he would be a good one to cover. So at a subsequent media event, Jobs concluded his presentation with a slide that read 110 over 70, referring to his blood pressure. Okay. And he stated that he would not address further questions about his health. However, 2009, Jobs took a six-month leave of absence from Apple, and during this time he had a liver transplant. The outcome was excellent. His doctors thought this was it. You're in good hands now. You know, you can live a relatively healthy life. Okay. And that worked out for about a year. Okay. year and a half. Until about mid-2011, when Jobs announced his resignation as CEO of Apple, saying that he could no longer handle his duties of the job. And shortly after this, Jobs passed away October 5th, 2011, from complications of a relapse of his pancreatitic tumor. It's almost been 10 years since he's died. Yeah. No way. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. nine years, a little over nine. His last words were, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Before he passed out and then died the following day. Interesting. Okay. Now, Steve was surrounded by his family when he passed. And this is because he was much better to his family than he was to colleagues and employees, mm-hmm. especially closer to the end of his life. In fact... Once his mother, his adoptive mother passed away, 
he asked his father for permission, his adoptive father for, for permission, and he found his mother, had a relationship with her, and even a, he found out he had a sister from her and had a relationship with her for the rest wow. of his life. Okay. It would be, I mean, it would probably be a reality check when once your mom passes away, or at least, you know, your who who you consider your mom passes yeah. away. So and she passed away from cancer and he found out he had it. So you it's got to be a drastic thought change mm-hmm. that hey, maybe I need to start talking about something with my mom. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's just when you have somebody like that so close to you pass away and then you have a disease or you know an ailment that is similar, that whole realization of mortality has got to reach you. Oh, 100%. And you know he just was like, it just hit him square in the face. Like, holy cow, this is my life. This is how I've lived it so far. And it's not very pleasing to my family. And that's what it was. It was pleasing to him. Right. Because he got what he wanted. And he was a narcissist, to say the absolute Mm -hmm. least. Yeah. But his family didn't like it. So he did reconcile with them. And he was surrounded by people who loved him when he passed Mm -hmm. away. Which... We can all hope for the same. Of course. So, but that was Steve Jobs. Okay. That was what I covered. There's a whole lot more yeah. about his life that we could have gone in depth. But I'm finding the more and more that I do these, the more and more I'm at, I have to paraphrase people's lives. Oh, because, yeah. Man, you look at some of these people and they live dozens of lives yeah. in 50 years, or right. 60 years, or 100 right. years that you can't cover everything. Right. So I absolutely push you guys go look him up because there's so much more about him that we just don't have the time to cover i want to watch the jobs movies now well now i'm going to now that i've done this and i'm done with my research i'm gonna go watch you should do a movie night or something cigars and a movie night hey you know i'm busy next saturday yeah but maybe (laughs) so what did you learn what what did you think what anything hit you about this that you surprised you what did surprise me because i've I, i knew Okay, I hate saying this. I knew Steve Jobs was a jerk. It's just kind of well known. And you and I have talked about it before. Right. So yeah, I didn't know he was adopted. And I think that, especially if he knew at a young age that he was adopted, I think that could change your mindset. You can forgive some of the tendencies he had. Yeah. Right. So I didn't know that. Um, I knew he had a weird relationship with his, his his kids. I didn't know the whole Lisa aspect of it, and that's kind of sad. That he denied that he had a child for so long, just because now that I, you know, I'm a dad, I could never deny that that Marshall's my kid, and so I, I don't understand how that how you could ever do that. But uh, no, I mean a lot of the stuff that you talked about I knew, but it, there are there are little pieces of his life that add up to what he ended up being. And overall, if you look at it, Steve Jobs was magnificent when it comes to the outward view of him. Like, if you look at his success, what he did with Pixar, what he did with Apple, I mean, he is one of the most successful people that we know of in this in the last 50, 50 years. I think it's safe to say. Um, Wasn't he man of the year once? I, I don't know. He could have been. Um, and the other thing, too, is if you look at Apple today versus of when Apple was ran by Steve Jobs, Apple's a shell of itself. I think it's just starting to kind of get back to where they were with some of the innovations that they're going to be making or have made with the the iPhone 12, the M1 chip. There's some other things that are coming out that I think Apple might actually get back to the top. But Steve Jobs definitely put that company in a position that was by far 
leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of the competition. Yeah, no, that, that, that's really what I learned. There's little pieces of his personal life that I never knew about. Yeah. So, speaking of Man of the Year, you know I was Man of the Year 2006? Were you? I was. Look it up. Where at? In Time Magazine. In Time Magazine. Time Magazine. I was Man of the Year 2006. Just look it up. Anyway, Nick, where can people find us, listen to us? What should they do if they like us, don't like us? I think the question is, where can't you find us? I'm just kidding. Can I find us in a box of Cracker Jack? If you look hard enough, you can. I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, um, Anchor. And if you generally look for humanizing history or some variation of that, you'll probably find us. I still really want people to go in and start commenting on Reddit. I would love to have conversations with y'all. And also, do us a favor. Go on to Apple podcast give us a review let us know how we're doing preferably five stars but if we're not five stars do you we want to know what we need to get better at and like always you can give us an old-fashioned gmail email and we would love to hear what your thoughts are on different people is there anybody you want us to cover hey do you want to give us a shout you know do you want us to give a shout out of your podcast or of your business we would love to do that and collaborate and have you do an intro to our podcast as well absolutely and so now next week we have a real special episode for you guys i don't know if i want to blow the news just yet yeah we'll just say it's more of a personal uh episode absolutely and we're gonna it's gonna be our season ender yep for season one of humanizing history i can't believe we've already done this for whatever 16 17 weeks yeah so and we're gonna be coming back in january with some new episodes for you guys and that'll be season two of Humanizing History. Man, it's it's been, a, been a wild ride so far. It has been a wild yeah, ride. I'm interested to see where this goes. I think we need to start looking into some other uh, avenues. I think we can make this more successful. I think so. And then yeah. Nick and I both have kind of our own ways that we want to go. We're, we're going to continue doing oh, Humanizing History. But we both have projects that we want to work on, you know, individually that you guys will find out some more about yeah. hopefully early January if we both have some time to Yeah, I think I'm going to get started it. with my side project. I'm hoping within the next two weeks, so we'll see. Um, I always say that, and then, you know, two years later, the side project happens. I mean, I've been talking to Cliff about podcasts for about three years, and yeah, if we finally we've did we've known it, each other, yeah. Right. <laughs> so so. I, I luckily have uh, a job that's going to give me a couple weeks off come Christmas time. Nice. So we host Christmas. So it's kind of a wacky time. Yeah. My mother-in-law's coming to town. So I can't wait to see her. Um, so hopefully I'll find some time in that two weeks to start my other project. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to January and giving you guys not just humanizing history, but also some individual stuff. Yeah, same here. So, okay. As always, love each other, be nice. And Nick? Peace out. Have a great week. Hasta luego.